0: Welcome along to the Go Play Soccer podcast with host Manchester United Academy coach Tom Statham. At Go Play, our aim is to bring people together from all across the world to discuss the beautiful game. Tom
1: Statham here and today on the Go Play Soccer podcast, we're talking with Lewis Morgan, who plays for Inter Miami in the MLS. Joining me to chat with Lewis are his agents from Beswick Sports, John Hassel and Ashley Hill. So welcome Lewis, John and Ashley to the Go Play Soccer podcast. Thanks, Thank Tom. You. Cheers, Tom. So, start, so Lewis, just talking a, a little bit about your childhood. You were you grew up in the west of Scotland in in uh, Greenock. What was football like for you as a as a young child?
2: Yeah, um, I came from a family who obviously loved football. I had an older brother, um, so from a very young age, just getting introduced to the ball and then playing with him and his friends, or playing out on the street, um, kicking the ball against the wall, you know, just the standard stuff that um, I think most kids my age in, in Scotland were doing at the time. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I, as I said, I had a, such a football dominant family that um, growing up, it was such a big part of my life. So uh, it was just, as I say, every single day playing football.
1: And that, I mean, you say that quite casually, but you've said some things there that that really hit home on common themes of, People that are successful in football, I've found over the years. So, number one, you had an older brother, so you went out and played with him. So you were you were growing up and and mixing with kids that were older than you. So that was difficult for you. You had to adapt, and you you had to make sure that you could compete at that level. So there's that toughness that that comes up as well. And then you said, "Oh, I played every day." And a lot of kids, you know, certainly nowadays find that difficult. Obviously, in the COVID times, it's been impossible. But even before that. You no, know, kids don't really get to play every day. They're not let out maybe as much as, as kids were 20 years ago and certainly 30, 40 years ago, you know, when I was young. Um, so that's the second one. And then the other one is that you played in the streets and you kicked a ball against a wall. And I know yeah. as a coach, we really want the kids to do that. You know, we want kids to go and on their own and practice and practice and practice. So it sounds like you were quite obsessed with the game.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, growing up, the wall's probably your best mate um, when it comes to football. Just um, spend hours and hours, if it wasn't with my brother, just striking the ball off a wall or just doing anything, keeping the ball up, just being with the ball maybe five, six, seven hours a day, just never getting tired, obviously, when you're that young. Uh, so, yeah, that was definitely a big thing of my childhood was just being around football. If I was in the house, I would kick the ball around the house. If I was outside, I always had the ball. So, um, it was ingrained in me from a from young age.
1: And when was the first time you started to play organised, sort of
2: structured, adult-led football? Um, I'd be guessing probably around the ages of like maybe five or six or something like that. Um, we had a football academy called First Touch Football Academy that produced some um, players who went on to play professionally. Um so where I grew up, like Greenock and is such a small area, but it was sort of a, a hotbed for producing footballers and um, the work they'd done. It, it wasn't so much, we didn't actually play games, it was just training. Um, two or three times a week we would train. We wouldn't really play against other teams that much. That was all the way through. Um, and then obviously that led into me joining Rangers Academy when I was around um, eight or nine. Um, but in between that, because first touch didn't actually play games against anyone else, it's you're developing as a footballer all the time. But you want to have that competitiveness, so I played for another boys' club called Port Glasgow Boys' Club um, just for probably about six months. My dad maybe thought it was important for me to actually be playing games against other boys and um, see if I could stand out at that level. And then obviously I played there for about six months and got them mo- um, scouted by Rangers, and then. Was there for the first after that,
1: and what was that like? Were you, were you a Rangers fan? So was signing for Rangers your your thing, or were you a Celtic fan?
2: No, I was a Rangers fan growing up. So, uh, yeah, that was my dream. Um, when I heard that, and then I, I did. I spent a, spent a good eight or nine years or something there. So, I um, have good memories, bad memories. But at the time when you're that age and you hear that you want that Rangers want to sign you, yeah, that's who all heroes played for so, um, so so who
1: were your boyhood heroes who were the Rangers players at that time that, that you know you had pictures of on your wall or you looked up to
2: yeah at that time coming through when I got tried to think who would have been the manager Alex McLeish was still the manager when I um, when I signed so you and then from there there was players like Dado Perso or Nacho Noble, Peter Lovinkranz all this group of players um but yeah, growing up, I was my my brother's a Rangers fan. My dad was a Rangers fan also. Um, my mother's side of the family is actually Celtic fans, So I had a little bit of balance. But um, yeah, that they were that was definitely a huge thing for me when I was younger.
1: And for people listening to this podcast that that maybe aren't as familiar with Scottish football as we are, just describe that 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 rivalry between Glasgow Rangers and, and Glasgow Celtic.
2: Yeah, for well. So maybe I'm a little bit biased. For me, it's probably the biggest rivalry in, in football. I think um, there's big games in football, but Rangers and Celtic's are just a completely different animal. Um, the it's, growing up. I went to a school actually where I was probably the only Rangers fan in the school. I think everyone in Scotland's a Rangers or a Celtic fan. Everyone picks a side, uh, and yeah, it's the rivalries. It's pretty much hard to put into words. Obviously, I've experienced it on both sides, playing for both sides of the, the divide. Um, but it's it's special um, and it, it gives a lot to Scottish football also.
1: Yeah, it reminds you of a story that, that Brian McClare, the former Celtic and Manchester United player, and he was academy manager for, for quite a while at Manchester United, he told me that he was a, a Catholic and he was brought up a Celtic fan. And to get to school from his house, he had to go up and down a hill, but that hill was in a Protestant area and they're all Rangers fans. And he yeah. actually, he, he he reckons that his fitness and his speed was increased because every day he had to run up and down the hill to get through the the Rangers area. So he didn't get beat up. And so he really credits a lot of his, his physical development to the fact that he had to travel through that area. But it's pretty serious up there.
2: Yeah, it's serious. That doesn't surprise me. Probably... I would imagine a little batch gone out of, the, they, they gone out of it now, but for sure, that definitely doesn't surprise me hearing that. So
1: you went um, to the academy at Rangers, and uh, and then after that, you signed for St Mirren.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I was at Rangers Academy for ages. Um, I, de- I developed a lot later physically, so that transitioned from 7 aside side football to 11 aside. side um, I would just develop later than other boys on my team. Um, so eventually wasn't playing that often um, for my age group. Had to drop down an age group and played there. But even at that, I was dropping down to play the year below me, but I wasn't even starting games for them. So I wasn't really actually playing much football outside of training a few times a week. Uh, so, yeah, I got to the age of about must have been 15 or 16, was released Um and then went to like exit trials for boys that had been released from the clubs. And then luckily when I was there, St Mirren and Davy Longwell and Jim Mullen, a guy called Jim Mullen, who was actually the scout that took me to Rangers in the first place, was then working for St Mirren. So it was good to, to have a familiar place as well.
1: And so was that signing for St Mirren, was that when you left school and you were virtually full time in in football?
2: Yeah, so I left, so I'd done my fifth year in school, i got my hires and then I signed for St Mirren. Um, so let's go one year early um, and went full time.
1: And I think you were there for three years at St Mirren. Is that correct?
2: Uh, maybe four years. I can't even think off the top of my head, but three or four. Years. Yeah, definitely about four years, I think there. Um, and yeah, I loved every minute of being at St Mirren. And, and that's where you made your professional debut? Yeah. So I made my professional debut, funnily enough, against Celtic. I came on, um, I think Van Dyke was playing centre back, and I came on that game. Um, and then, yeah, I've had quite a lot of things like that happening in football. My professional debut was against Celtic. Now I ended up signing for them. My first goal was against Rangers. I haven't been released from them, so there's just like a few like anomalies in my football career so far.
1: That's okay, great. Well, what were your biggest learning experience did you say at St Mirren so you, you know you're 16, 17, 18 important years of development you know what what sort of things did you learn there who were the big influences on you when you were growing up at St Mirren
2: yeah David Longwell was the head of youth um, he's done he's went on to work at Red Bull he's worked he's working at Shrewsbury at the moment um, and he was brilliant for not only me but for all like St Mirren again is a club that produces so many first team players and Scottish internationalists in, in recent years so um, yeah he was the biggest influence on, on my time there um, and we had like um, exposure to the first team at quite an early age because when you're at clubs like St Mirren they don't carry massive squads so had the first team maybe had a game and they were in for a recovery there's always that chance for for some of the younger guys to, to be involved and in around that setup so you were exposed to first team football basically from day one as soon as you got there, which is a complete polar opposite to Rangers, where as a youth player you wouldn't see any of the first team ever. So seeing them every single day, being at a facility where you're passing them in the corridors and training with them every day and having that exposure was definitely something that I enjoyed more and was probably more beneficial to me than stewing and a a youth team.
1: And you get that confidence when you're around the first team players and you're training with them at times as well you get the confidence that maybe I can you know, play and perform at this level
2: yeah I definitely always had confidence in myself anyway but when you get to train alongside those guys maybe if you had a good training session it gives you that belief in yourself um, but yeah I love being around the first team at an early age um, and as I say when you you go around there at St Mirren there might have been two or three guys from your team that go around so automatically you're more comfortable having a few other boys friendly faces when you're first doing it but pretty early on from being at the first team and training there I realised that I didn't want to go back to the to the youth team and I just wanted to stay there
1: Yeah and then you, you obviously played for the first team and then in in 2018 after three or four years with St Mirren you got the opportunity to join Celtic how did that feel then as, as a Rangers fan you know that, realising that, that Celtic were interested in signing you
2: Yeah I mean you, I think you mature in football, and once you are in the professional environment, you realise that allegiances to clubs aren't really that prevalent. Um, especially when there's things, when there's offers on the table, it's all well and good saying you were a Rangers fan, but when a club like Celtic come along with a manager like Brendan Rodgers at the time and offer you an opportunity to, to further your development as a football player. You've got to think of yourself first and your development rather than what team I supported when I was growing up. Um, I think I'm always going to support Rangers, but as I say, when you're playing professional football, you support whatever team you play for um, and you're just focused on that. So, yeah, I got obviously the chance to work with a great management staff at Celtic. It's a massive club and I thought at the time I would have regretted not signing for them.
1: Okay, so we've got to the point you know at Celtic. So I think we'll bring John Hassel in now, your your agent at Besix. And and John, when did you become aware of Lewis? And and when did he sign up with the the Besix Sports Agency?
0: It was When he was at Saint Mirren, really. Um, we'd uh, we met Davy in um, Davy Longwell, out in America at coaches' convention, and uh, you know we we, we talked about. Uh, about players that he'd he'd worked with, and obviously he spoke very highly of uh, of Lewis and, and another lad at St Mirren called Carl McAllister, who we ended up moving to Derby. Um, he's now back at St Mirren, and 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 that was it really. That was how we got we got to know about them, and and then we made uh, made contact with him to go and see them and and meet them and find out what it is they they wanted, you know, for them, their career, what what path they wanted to take. Uh, and and that was it really. So I went up and watched him. Um, we had a couple of meetings. I think first first time I met him on my own in a coffee shop, and then the second time we came back up and met him with his dad um, in a Costa, not far from the stadium. Uh, and that was it really. Went from there. To, uh, and then the next step was planning. You know, planning what 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 was going to happen. You know, he, he, he was in the first team, doing well. I think you'd got that at that time. he'd got eighteen months left on his contract at St Mirren. So it was building up to, to where we go from there. You know, obviously he was doing well and the, the plan was he wasn't going to stay at St Mirren forever. So, But we always wanted to do right by them as well. And how did you feel uh, meeting John and, and signing up with Bezix
2: then, Lewis? Yeah, so I actually had another agent at the time um, or I had been with an agent, but my contract with him had, had expired. Um And I wasn't very happy with the work he'd done for me. Um, And then obviously, as John said there, Kyle McAllister was with John. Davy Longwell had spoken to me about John and um, held him in high regard. So um, these are people's opinions that I trust. And then obviously it was the right decision. And um, everything since John has been perfect exemplary since then. So I'm happy that I've done that.
1: Just let let people who are listening to this who really have got no idea what that relationship's like between player and agent, what, what sort of things does does John sort out for you? What what role does he play in your life as a professional footballer?
2: Yeah, I think anything. I think first and foremost, just being like a friend. Um text me after the games, text me during the week. I mean, we talk most days. I'm terrible on my phone, so John probably say otherwise, uh, I'm a hard person to get hold of, but um, yeah, John, he's always texting me asking how I'm doing. Um, it's me first, football second with him. That's the the um, sense I get off of it. And, um, yeah, we've just got a good relationship away from football also. And then that helps going towards football. I think we can be honest with each other. There's no um, pulling the wool over each other's eyes or um, anything with regards to where we're at. Um and yeah, on the football side of things, negotiation is always done right by me as well. So having someone like that has been been perfect.
1: And I think in the press, in the media, people get this impression of agents. All they do is they negotiate contracts and they take a lot of money out of football and, and it's quite negative. So, John, it's your opportunity really is, is to explain to people, you know, the truth about agents, you know, the
0: good work that they do and, and the services that they provide for the players. I think there's always going to be that stigma of agents taking too much money out of it. But there is a lot of money in the game and the players are rightly paid a lot of money because they're the best at what they do. So naturally, you know, an agent's fee is always going to be bigger than what people would expect. or But it's all in proportion as well. And I think, I think where, where Lewis was concerned, it was, you know, he'd got that 18 months left on his deal and, and it was discussing with him and, you know, what the plan was and where he wanted to go. And then there was a lot of work in that that next 18 months. I mean, we had Burton Albin, I think, were the first team that came in with a with an offer for him at the end of that that year. Um, which at that time it wasn't, I think it was we sat down, it wasn't wasn't probably the right, the right move at that time. Um and St. Mirren were on a on a good roll as well. Jack Ross had come in, they 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 they'd done this great escape, and then they obviously next season it worked out perfectly because they went and won it and they'd got a good team and, and Jack was was brilliant uh, for Lewis. But he did a lot of the hard work by how he was performing on the pitch. You know, my job was to make sure people down here were aware of his situation. Um, we, we're, and to be fair, we did work hard and get in getting a number of clubs to go and watch him while he was at St Mirren. And and he, he delivered on the pitch, not only for St Mirren, but also for Scotland. I remember, I mean, the defining game really was Scotland under 21s against Holland. It was at, it was at St Mirren's uh, stadium and and he, he was unbelievable that game. And, and I just knew from that game onwards, there wasn't going to be a shortage of takers for him at all because he it was just the way he delivered. Under that pressure as well, you know, he knew there were a lot of scouts there watching him. His contract was coming up uh, at, towards an end with St Mirren. Um, and he delivered and, and there it wasn't, it wasn't it, the next step then was sitting down and trying to work out which clubs were going to be the right ones and what he actually wanted because as much as we all have an opinion and we all think what might be best at the end of the day the player's got to be happy and the player's got to have in his heart well, he'll know really where he wants to go and what he wants to do and it's not our job in terms of what who pays the biggest agents fee, what what is right has to be for the player first and foremost. We sort him, and that's always been our philosophy. It's what the, you know, my boss Gary's always said here. You sort the player out first, and then, you know, and then afterwards you, you sort what needs to be sorted out in terms of, of, of our fees. But you know, it was always, you know, then the Celtic thing came about, and like you said, Brendan was very good sold the club very well and, and was very good in keeping in touch with Lewis afterwards. You know, even when we, it was agreed, we'd agreed to deal with Celtic you know, Brendan always kept in touch with Lewis because he stayed on loan at St Mirren for the rest of that season uh, when he signed in the January, and, and, which was the right thing to do because they were, they were flying and he was enjoying his football as well, which was the most important thing. And then it's the, it's the other side of things when things don't quite work out how you expect or how you want. It's then, you know he could have stayed at Celtic. Celtic didn't want to sell, sell Lewis, um, but he didn't want to stay, and he he was too good to be sitting on someone's bench or and not playing. And he wanted to play football, and so it was the next stage was then was looking for options for him, or what were going to be the right options after after Celtic. And um, there were a number of options for him in Scotland, in England, and then and then obviously the into Miami one. Um, and after a lot of deliberation and sitting down and I think I remember coming up and sitting down in his house with, with Lewis and Heather, his girlfriend and his dad and I think we spoke, we chatted through everything for about four hours I think it was before we, uh, you, they'd, they'd given you permission to fly back from Dubai hadn't they Celtic because Miami had had, uh, had an offer accepted and I think it was about four hours of going through everything and, and we decided that I think Miami was going to be the right, uh, the right deal to take and Touchwood so far in terms of his profile and everything else I mean again he's delivered on the pitch again but you know winning his MVP in the first year I think it's I think it's worked So
1: four hours to decide to go to Miami I mean I think I'd have taken four minutes Lewis to be honest what what was going through your mind there?
2: (laughs) Yeah I mean um, family's a big thing for me so make sure everyone's on board Um, as I said, said before John's obviously like a friend and having the backing of your family, friends, and obviously my girlfriend was probably most important at that stage. Um, It's a big decision to make for a 22, 23-year-old to travel across the country. Um, No, sorry, the globe. Uh, (laughs) Play football somewhere that's two flights and 11 and a half hours journey away. Um, So it was a massive decision. And then obviously having John there explaining things, explaining the process to... My girlfriend Heather, who we weren't too familiar with the states, and John obviously has. He has knowledge. He, he was able to talk us through everything and lay everything out. And then, as I said, as John touched on, the decision's always with with me. And uh, yeah, I was happy to go ahead with it. And like John says, it's it's worked out so far.
1: And let's bring Ashley in now for a few comments because you you see things from both sides. you you' you're a coach, you've coached at Soak City, you've coached at Manchester United in the Academy and obviously worked in the agency industry with with Bezics for quite a while. So how do you see the progression of a player and 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 the sort of things we talked about with Lewis um, developing into a, a professional and getting these these moves? How do you see it from both the coaching and the agency side?
3: I think it's very similar in some respects, Tom. And um, I know uh, you and I have very similar views on coaching and, and players and player development. And I think John's touched on it quite a bit. Um, and it always comes back to the player and the, and the people around him and the support that they have. And the you know and okay, agent. You know, you said what do agents do? Uh, we can only do so much for the player, but he has to perform and they, he has to stay. Grounded, and he has to stay, uh, you know, working hard and making sure that they're at their optimum level, that they're performing, that that we can give them then opportunities. Um, and I think one big thing that I see now, um, you know, work, working in academies with younger kids, and I have worked in academies with the older end, but now I'm getting to a stage where, you know, I'm working and, and seeing players at an age of 18, 19, 20, And I think it frustrates me when they 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 kind of rely too much on the agent or rely too much on on on, and they see it as a they kind of don't want to put that work in early doors. I think is great about Luther story. You know, we played um, professionally for Saint Mirren. Uh, You know, I admire is the fact that he you know he kept pushing and working hard to get to the next stage. And for, for me, for any young player. Um, out there, that is something that I would, you know, massively advise or, you know, coaches keeping them, you know, working and sustaining that hard work and not just relying on other people. And I think that's what, you know, kind of, you know, one big thing I see. Um,
1: you, you agree with that, Lewis? It's just not being satisfied, it's striving on and taking the responsibility to keep improving.
2: Yeah, I mean, so it is always down to the player how they perform and fans maybe only see. The good side of the things the fans probably don't see the training sessions when you're training with a group of players that haven't been playing and you've got younger reserve players training with you and boys are upset and like they don't see those training sessions especially when touch on that club at Celtic when you play every third day how often are you training with the full first team if these guys are playing every every other day and if you're not in the team which I definitely wasn't for spells for. Probably the majority of my time there, how are you working every single day? Like when no one's watching and no one's ever gonna find out how you were doing or when injuries come, it's admitting I had injuries and it's I've definitely had hundreds of setbacks along the way and um yeah, as people only might only see the good side of things, but there's loads and it's like a struggle to to keep pushing forward and trying to improve and that's what people don't see
1: but you've hinted at the the, the fact that your family and your agent were very supportive at that time and again that that's another element that that's common with a lot of people that are successful not just in football but in other walks of life as well is that support that's around them and you've mentioned a number of coaches and and your family and I'm I'm sure that's something that you'd credit with a lot of your success
2: yeah I think I've always said being happy off the pitch is if you're not happy off the pitch, then it's hard to concentrate and perform on the pitch. Not, you're not consciously doing it, but if you're unsettled or things aren't going well off the pitch, then sometimes subconsciously it can leak into into your mindset and you can take that onto the pitch. So, having a good support system around you is um, probably my number one priority because I know if I've got that, then the football will take care of itself with hard work and the stuff that I put in. I trust all that.
1: And you're playing into Miami for for a high profile coach in Phil Neville, a former Manchester United player, former England player. And obviously you mentioned Brendan Rodgers. And I know you you weren't regularly in the first team there, but you must have been under his guidance and you saw how he worked. So how would you compare the, the two of them, you know, two high profile managers, two successful people in football, Brendan Rodgers and, and Phil Neville, how would you compare them?
2: Yeah, to be honest, I don't really like to compare managers because it's quite tough. Every manager has their own identity. So, um, not talking, this isn't with regards to Phil or or Brendan, but training is going to be different than a team that plays 3 is a team that plays 4 3 3, is a team that keeps the ball and is a team that counterattacks. So, it's tough to compare managers. Um, I try to take on an individual basis and I love working under the manager here. Uh, he's been great for me. He's been great for all the boys and everyone's sort of buying into it. Um, same with Brendan. I love worked under him and then uh, Jack Ross um, probably was when I was playing my best football. So, um, and then I would, don't want to miss out Diego Alonso who was obviously here last year. I appreciate everything that every manager does for me. And, um, so far I've been lucky enough to play under some good ones and... Um, yeah, I've not got a bad word to say. So the
1: style of football is obviously different from in Scotland than it is in Miami, just because of the conditions more than anything else. But maybe if comparing the the managers isn't isn't easy for you or not something you're you're comfortable doing, what about the common qualities that make them successful? So not not necessarily the the tactical or the technical qualities, but their personal qualities. Qualities. I know you've already hinted, or John hinted, at the fact that Brendan Rogers was contacting you constantly, even though you went back on loan to St Mirren. So, what are the what are the common things that each of them has as a person that that when they connect with you?
2: Yeah, I think man management's probably as big as like my management off the pitch is as big as like the tactical work you do every day. Um, and yeah, as I said, all of my managers I've had have been good with me from a personal point of view. Um, Certainly the last few clubs I've been at um, have all been great for me and knowing the players, knowing what each player needs, what each individual needs because there's always, as I said, disappointment when guys don't play. um, I mean, managers know the the managers that have been in football long enough or played long enough that they can see it from the player's perspective as well. So uh, that's been a benefit. Obviously, i always got massive experience in football as a player and as a coach. So he's able to see things and manages us very well.
1: Uh, Internationally, you've got two caps for Scotland, two full caps. And John talked earlier about that under-21 game against Holland that was really important for you. So I'm I'm thinking that even though you're based in the States, you're still very keen to, to get more experience for Scotland.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I've probably always playing my best stuff, playing for Scotland, to be honest. Um, maybe as a player, it just gets an extra 10, 15% out of you. Um, so that's, it. that's the goal, to be back in there. Um, I know I'm good enough to be playing the national team. i um, can't get disappointed. All I can do is control what I can do. It's playing well for Inter Miami, and then I've got faith in my ability that um, I'll force myself back in.
1: And John, what are your ambitions for Lewis? Obviously, we said you you want him to be happy and settled, and his his life off the pitch to be good. But just looking into the future, you no, know, do you see him staying in Miami? Do you would you like to bring him back to to the UK?
0: It's a, it's a tough question. Like first and foremost, you want your player to be happy. I want him to be happy and settled, and, and wherever that takes him on that journey, you know. I want to be part of it because I've, you know, I enjoy working with him and for him and and creating these opportunities. I think like right now he's, he's enjoying his football in Miami. He's doing really well. He's still only very young, you know, where, where that will take him next. I don't know. He's ambitious. Like he said, and he wants to play at the highest. He's always said he wants to play at the highest level that he can possibly play at. And where that'll take us will depend on how, how, how he continues to do on the pitch. And, you know, like I said, he, he he certainly did everyone proud last year, uh, winning the MVP, and he couldn't have done any more. And, I, you know, he's started this season well already with assist and goals. And I just think it, you know, we don't know where it'll take us. You know, it's, an, it's been an exciting journey so far. And I just hope that continues. And I'm just gutted that we haven't been able to go out to Miami to watch him. I think I had five cancelled last year because of COVID. And, you know, again, it's, it's another testament to Lewis's character that, him and Heather went out last year for the very first time and the transition that they made and then all of a sudden COVID hit and, and nobody's been allowed to go and visit them. So normally you'd do a move like that. You'd be inundated with requests from friends and family wanting to go and stay with you, which does help you settle into, you know, a new, particularly a, a new country. Um, and, and they never had that last year. You know, they didn't, they weren't allowed visitors. They couldn't have it. And and it's been the same the start of this year as well. So from that side of it, you can only, for him to have achieved what he's achieved so far and to have to deal with what he's had to deal with off the pitch as well, without having that support mechanism coming to see him in person, um, is really just testament to him and his character of, of how he can adapt. And, uh, you know, I can't really say anything, to speak more highly of him really for that, because it's not an easy thing to do. You know, the transition from one country to another and it's tough and, you know he's done it he's grasped it and he's he's gone and performed on the pitch as well so and and it's not for everyone you know and that's part of an agent's job i think as well to know what the character of your player and what they can and they can't cope with um not every player would have been able to cope with what he's gone through uh, and, and he has done so i yeah. think
3: um sorry john sorry. To, one thing Tom, that's impressed me most, uh, you know, about Beswick's. I, I work for other agencies a little bit, you know, and am not full-time at Beswick's, but before I worked part-time for other agencies. And I mean, the biggest thing from a coach when I've coached kids and I still coach kids is just making sure you're there for them. And, you know, you 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 are that kind of father figure, you help them, you do anything for them. And, and I know And when I came to Beswick's, I, I had a feel from the start of that, it's exactly what they're, they're like, you know. They get to know the players on a, like you've already said on a personal level. They'll, you know, go to the end of the earth for these players and the stuff that I know John does behind the scenes every day and um, is 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 amazing. You know, it's so good. And and there's a, you know, there's a lot of, there are probably a lot of bad agents out there. That, you know, I think that's important for coaches and players to know that making sure, you know, not every agent's a good agent um, and making sure that the they do choose the right people um, and it is important because, you know, as you know, as a coach, Tom, there's not uh, there's not a load of great coaches out there. You know, they, they just want to coach for themselves. And sometimes that's what the agents I've found and, and working in this business, it's about themselves and it's not about the player. And I think that's really, really important. I know that's something that our boss and, and John are, are unbelievable at at Beswick's, um, that they just care so much for the players and it is about the player. Um, and what is it,
1: the needs for them. Uh, so that comes across really strongly in this conversation is is that that relationship, that bond between player and agent. If it's right, like it is in this instance, then that it can really help the player to go from strength to strength. Um, uh, I, I really just want to go back in time to your childhood again, Lewis, because a few things that you said earlier, I'd just like to touch on again, because the, the themes that there's a coach, I coach in the foundation phase under nines to under 11s. And some of the things that you said, like you were a small player, and that was one of the reasons you got released by Rangers and you played down. Um, you know, So the, these are factors that I see regularly is that, that small players, and you said about not getting around a bigger pitch because that format for you wasn't appropriate at that time. And I see this regularly. You know, there's, there's a lot of coaches listening to this Hopefully, what what message would you say to to coaches who are working with players who are that bit smaller and and do, they develop physically a bit later? What sort of message would you give to them about being patient?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one because I've never known from a coach's perspective, but from a player's perspective, I've never understood how a player can get judged at sixteen for years or younger. I mean, for example, as well within that for example, let's say there's an age group under 17, all the boys are 16. If one of them is born on the 1st of January and the other born the 31st of December and add into the mix that that boy born on the 31st of December is also going to develop at a slower rate, you could have three or four years of a difference when you add physically, like the difference between those, these two players. I mean, you've got guys like Jamie Vardy who didn't make it into the Football League until really late and look at what he's doing now. So, Coaches, just to be patient, I mean, you're not, it doesn't matter for me as a coach. Of course, you want to install a winning mentality, but winning games at under-17 football or under-16s football never got anyone any management award. So it's not about, if you can produce one player out of a team of 20, then you've done your job. Um, so I think coaches, especially when I was at Rangers, which is so dependent on winning games were just they just wanted to win games at an age group where this should be about developing players instead of trying to win a game because that those 11 guys that you pick to start at 15 years old are going to be the same 11 guys that are all going to turn out for the first team one day in the same team so it's but just it does, about-
1: it's getting that balance between short term and long term isn't it because it's very easy as a coach to get sucked into that short-term objective of winning a game at the weekend, was actually when you're in in development and developing players, developing people, then it's very much a long-term thing. And, and you're proof that if you stick with people, then in the long-term they can come through.
2: Exactly. Um, I just think that coaches, in my experience, got too caught up in results. And as I say, it's always important to, for players to appreciate the value of winning, but the risk of losing players in the football and pyramid and losing them. I've played the players that could comfortably had the ability to play first team football that were put to the side over someone who was built like a man at the age of fifteen and for what, for two years worth of good results at youth football level and then they get discarded as well and then you've got nothing to show for anything. Um so I think and that, that's something again that I would say that St Mirren was definitely not the case.
1: So, and then, John, with the with an agent, you're looking at players from from what sort of age?
0: You can't really you can't sign them until uh, officially till the year of their 16th birthday. So it's, it's very difficult to get into any kind of games for lads that are younger than that anyway. So it tends to be around that you know the under the under 16s really is the first first age group really where we can officially go and watch them play. So it's about that age, really, that we start to try and take notice. But again, like Louis said, you, it's very difficult because you, we could see something in a, in a, in a young player that who's perhaps lacking in physicality. But if that, if that boy is judged and not given that chance, you know, it's very difficult for them. You know, they're, they're cast aside, and uh, so you, you know we have to be careful. On uh, sometimes we base our decisions on a player based on what we think might happen. You know, because it's and that and that's that, that's a hard part of it. I'm sure, I like guess, would agree. You can go and watch games, and you can see a good young technical players, and they might, but they're very small. Um, and you're almost thinking, well, is he going to get given that opportunity? Uh, so, you know,
1: so an agent really is is someone that not only negotiates contracts and looks after the the financial and business side of things for a player. And you've got to have all those skills, but you've actually got to be good at assessing young players as well. Because if you go and see a player, who's 16, 17 years old and he's big and physical and he's he's dominant at that time and you go for that and you think that he's going to be a top player and, and he signs for your agency, but that's his peak, then yeah. that, that's a big decision. And likewise, on the, on the other side of it, if, if they're smaller players, physically and mentally um, less developed players, let's say, mm-hmm. and you miss them, then you could have missed an opportunity. So this, this player identification, player assessment is really important for an agent
0: does because it is very difficult as well because if you get it if you get it wrong too many times you are suddenly stuck you know with a, with a lot of players and you're just trying to find clubs and, and it's difficult then so you spe- you know and you're putting all your time and effort into that and it, it takes you away from other things so it i don't think that you know there's not a right and a wrong but we do have to be very careful on the, the players that we take because it's uh, like say the like I say, that's sometimes where you're reliant on looking at the club that they're at and seeing what pathway they've followed previously, you know, what lads have come through. Are, are they a club that predominantly like big, strong, athletic types of players or are they a club, you know, like Lewis said, St Mirren was, where they would play the the perhaps less physical players but more technical ones. You know, and I think at the time you know, Lewis came through, I think Davey Longwell and a lot of the lads that did come through at St Mirren weren't necessarily big physical lads. You know, Lewis came through, Carl McAllister wasn't wasn't physical. Kenny Kenny McLean, I think, was another one that came through. St. Mirren, John McGinn, uh, people like that. So, you know, they, they've not done bad with the and they certainly didn't go down that route. But again, that's when we're looking at players, you, you do have to look at the clubs that they're at and try and see what sort of types they like as well.
1: So actually the the job of an agent is not that dissimilar f- from a football manager, really, because you, you're having to look after players, you're having to have contact with them, you're having to do all the off-field stuff, uh, motivate them, but also it's this selection. So a lot of managers live and die by the players that they sign uh, for the team and, and similar, sounds similar with an agent
0: too. It is pretty much, yeah. There's, uh, obviously, I think, uh, and, and that's where, you, again, the, the character side of things comes into it as well. You know, you want lads with good characters that... That are prepared to work hard because, like Louis said, it's not always a, it's not always a, just an upward curve, is it? it, it there's, it's like a roller coaster. There's up and downs all the time, and it's it's knowing you've got a lad that whose character can deal with all that as well. And you you, you build a team and you work together and, and and make the best out of what you can. And that, and that's what we'll always we we'll always try and do. But again, it, it like Ash touched on earlier, sometimes you can only be as good as your player. And again, they all need a little bit of luck because they need an opportunity to, to perform um, given. I think as well, like we had a conversation actually with a coach earlier,
3: an under-23s coach at Cat 1 academy. Me and John had a meeting with him and we were, um, you know, he's moaning about some of the players and, 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 and we were saying about our frustrations about players in terms of, um, we, we have an agency that certainly don't um, tell players what they want to hear. And a lot of players these days, they 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 just want to kind of, you know, have boots bought for them, and they think this is the role of an agent at being having boots bought for them, you know, telling them how good they are, telling them what next move they're going to get, and, you know, and it's, you know, if you've got a player like that, for me, they're not gonna they're not gonna go far, they're not gonna make it. You know, the, the players that we've got and that kind of, I look after the young, there's a couple of young, real hungry, great, humble lads who've never asked me for anything. And I know John's speaks very, very highly of Lewis and this is how his character is. And they're the ones that go and make it, you know, they just concentrate on the football side of things um, and that just ring you every now and again for a little bit of advice on different, you know, things on the pitch or off the pitch and... Um, and that's again just big advice to players out there, and just just staying grounded and and not um, you know it's not about the money or the that'll come the, all that them, you know the, the the money will come the the boot deals will come if you perform on the pitch and and I think sometimes that can be our frustration a little bit with with certain players not obviously Lewis but with other players that we we've dealt with in the past and we see and it's a tough part of the industry really to to try and manage.
0: I mean, it's Lewis. you know everything he's he's done and everything that's come about has come because he's he's performed on the pitch you know wherever it wherever it's been he's he's always done his best and 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 the opportunities that we've managed to get for him have only come about because of how he's done and in the character that he's shown and the, the you know the ability that he's got but he's done it week in week out. Yeah that's great and and one of your
1: teammates into Miami is someone that I knew when he was a young lad at Manchester United Ryan Shawcross and he was the opposite to you because he was he was definitely not small but um you know he was a very tall lad when I knew him at 10 11 years old um, but he was so timid he was he was very quiet um, I don't know what he's like now as a as a uh, really a senior pro isn't he but um he was someone that that really needed to develop in a different way. So you, you know, there needed need to be patience for you to develop physically. Whereas actually, with Ryan, it was the patience was needed for him to develop that aggression really and and that competitive streak that he certainly got. Um, as he really he got to about fourteen, fifteen before that developed. Um, you know, what, what's it like working and, and playing with Ryan Shawcross?
2: Yeah, Ryan's been great. He's definitely not timid anymore. Uh, <laughs> being captain a Stoke for about 40 years is <laughs> that uh, but no, Ryan's done great race came in um, and as you said that it just shows different developments of different players Ryan was probably the same size when I was 10 or 11 when he was 10 or 11 as I am now so <laughs> that's right <laughs> it's just it's just finding the balance and that's what I would say just urge coaches to let to give players opportunities to develop because the physical side of things sometimes it's just out with the players control but eventually everyone catches up that boy that you see at 13 14 years old is faster and everyone isn't going to be faster than everyone in four years when I've, and all of a sudden you've invested so much time and effort into a player that and you probably missed four or five other ones who maybe you released and went on to prove you wrong um and in my my personal case that was definitely true um we the coaches at Rangers definitely did invest more time into players, which is totally their right, but it's just making sure the players that you're investing the time into are, are the right ones. And I think now when you see like the players that even Rangers are starting to produce, it looks like that's not the case anymore, which I'm happy to see. Um, so I think football clubs are becoming more aware of it now, but everyone eventually catches up and the boy that you see pushing people out of the way at 14 can't do that to a first team player, so no, what no player in world football does that to any other professional player. So finding someone who's so physically dominant is is tough. It's um, there's not many of them out there. So it's probably putting your focus more on the players who are standing out technically.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Lewis, thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, I think that people listening to this podcast will really have learned a great deal. Firstly, about you and your journey and what it's like to, to grow up, maybe as, a, as one of the smaller kids, but with lots of ability and that drive and enthusiasm and determination to, to make it as a player. And, and now you're, you're out in Miami playing brilliantly in the MLS. And uh, that, that will be informative to coaches listening. But but also this relationship that you've got with with John and Ash, especially at, at Bezix, has been really interesting to, to listen to that. Um, so thanks very much, Lewis. Thank you to John and thanks to, to Ash as well. Thanks so much, gents. Um, you know, it's great to spend this time with you and, and get that insight into that relationship between agent and player. Um, really appreciate it. And, and good luck, Lewis, for the season at, uh, at into Miami. And let's hope that that once the Euros are out of the way, then you can get back into that Scotland squad. Yeah, that's the plan. Thanks, Tom. Fantastic. All right, gents. Thanks a lot. Thanks for for appearing on the Go Play
0: Soccer podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you have a question or comment for us, or if you'd like to take part in one of our podcasts, please email podcast at goplaysoccer.com.